Hello, friends. In today's episode with Anthony Cofield of Living Book Press, Jill Morgan of Purple House Press, and Tanya Arnold of BiblioGuides, we are talking about the history of publishing and how it has changed over the last 50 or 75 years. This conversation is really fascinating, but it also ran long, and so we've divided it into two episodes. If you're listening when this is airing, the first episode will air on Wednesday, and the second half of the episode will air on Friday. Thanks for listening. Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft. I'm here today with Sarah Masaryk, and we have three guests today. Anthony Colfield from Living Book Press, Jill Morgan from Purple House Press, and Tanya Arnold from BiblioGuides. This is really exciting because I think this is the first time that Anthony and Jill and Tanya have all seen each other, right? That's correct. Yes. So we've had the joy, Diane and I've had the joy of seeing each of you in our many conversations, but none of you have all been together at the same time and all on screen at the same time, which means nothing to our listeners because they can't see us. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a good thing, right? (laughs) Not a bad thing. (laughs) Well, Jill and Anthony and Tanya, thank you so much for coming today. Thanks for having us all here at the same time. This is an interesting episode. Uh, First of all, there are no preformed questions or anything like that. We are just a bunch of book lovers hanging out together, having a conversation. But the impetus for it is to kind of talk about the history of how publishing has evolved over the last 50 or 100 years. How have things changed? Since Jill and Anthony both specialize in printing beautiful vintage books, reprinting them, But printing them today with today's technology, today's paper, today's bindings, there are inherently a whole lot of choices they have to make. And uh, Tanya was talking with them about different things, about how things get formatted and how things get, decisions get made. And we all just thought that would, we were curious. We thought that that would be a very interesting conversation to listen in on. So Tanya, do you want to tell us what the start of this was? Where did this all really come from? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been friends with both Anthony and Jill for quite a few years. And so I'm familiar with some of the stories that they've shared and told about the challenges that they've come across or the blocks, the roadblocks, just interesting, quirky things. But recently I was helping Anthony with a project where he was needing some pictures from a very specific book that he is working on. And I happen to own this specific book. So of course I said, yes, I can take these pictures for you. And so I opened up the book and I wasn't looking at the actual pictures. I was mostly making sure that I wasn't skipping anything. So I was just turning a page at a time, taking the picture, making sure that it wasn't blurry or fuzzy, that I had soft lighting, no glares, that the aspects look good, right? I was looking at the quality of the pictures I was sending him. I went through the whole book, took all of these pictures uploaded them to him and just messaged him and said, Hey, the pictures are there. And then, you know, we're on a time difference. So he's in Australia and I'm here in the United States, specifically in Utah. 
And maybe 12 hours later or so he messaged me and he's like, oh, I don't, I don't mean to be a bother, but (laughs) I have two images for section three and no section two. And I thought, well, there's no way I did that. So either I took the picture and I wasn't careful in what I sent him, which I felt confident that that wasn't the case, or there's something wrong with my book. Mm. And this is a really rare book. So I was thinking if there is something wrong with my book, I am not going to be a happy camper. I went and grabbed the book and I looked and sure enough, my section two page and section three page were the exact same image. I looked at it and I sent him a picture and showed him. I said, it's a misprint. This one page, I have the same image twice, but I, I wasn't looking at the images. And lucky for me, I have a second copy of this book that's illustrated. That was another edition that the publisher had done that was a much lower quality, almost like on wartime paper. So it was, wow. it was yellowed and brittle and it's not my favorite copy, but I've kept it because it's a rare book. Sure. And Anthony said that the coloring issue wasn't an issue. He could resolve all of that. So I took the picture and sent it to him. And then about 12 hours later, he messages me again. And he says, so I don't mean to be a bother, <laughs> but I'm missing pages. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing illustrations in section two. And I thought, no, come on. I did not do that. Well, I go and look and my section two is missing a good chunk. And it's a repeat of section three. Oh, and so no. I, I take a video and I scan it and I show Anthony and I'm, and I just say to him, I don't, what, I don't understand what happened here. And in the interim, I had the second copy. So I got him all of the pictures he needed. And now he has everything he needs to make a beautiful book. And then Anthony (laughs) proceeded to explain to me this quirky thing that had happened that that was part of the bookmaking back then in the fifties when this book was published. And I'm not even going to try to explain it. So Anthony, (laughs) take it away. (laughs) People will ask if the books are like sewn binding and all that kind of thing. And to do that, they have to print out a whole pile of the pages double-sided and they fold them together into I believe they're called signatures is that right Jill I always get that word mixed up anyway that's yeah. what I'm going to call them. Yeah. <laughs> awesome and then they all get sort of pushed together and sewn and glued and that's how they used to print the old books but <laughs> to do that um, they have to have them all stacked individually and then combine them to mm-hmm. put through mm-hmm. and that's where the mistake happens is if two of them are grabbed of the same one oh. you'll then get 16 duplicated pages and skip out on six. Oh. Um, so when wow. you when you're looking at your old books, you'll notice little little extra bits of writing down the bottom. It might be a letter or a number or random little things there, but they will correspond with the first page usually of each of the signatures. It's also why people complain about the images not being at the right place sometimes in the old books, but it's because they had to insert the different sheet of paper that we thought that like the like glossy photo paper type of stuff they would use in between the pages or the signatures or however they chose to do it. Wow. That's fascinating. I find that really fascinating because that is actually one of my, oh, this this is going to be controversial, but I don't really love the illustrated junior library series. Mm. And the reason I know the reason why is because the colored book plates sometimes are placed in the book. And I didn't really understand why until Anthony explained it. But they're placed in places that it it oftentimes presents a spoiler. So I was reading right. aloud to my child, um, The Secret Garden, yeah. using the Illustrated Junior Library. And she's sitting by me snuggling. And then here comes the illustration before I've told that part. And now she knows. 
And right. it's, it's like, oh, so that's what's happening or that's what's going to happen. And I'm like, no, I want to have happen. So I, I got rid of a lot of my illustrated junior libraries because uh-huh. I was frustrated with the <laughs> book plates being in the, being in what I felt like was the incorrect place that sure. you needed mm-hmm. to come later or they were just sure. odd. And I, I didn't understand that. It makes a lot more sense now. And it, if you weren't going to have your child snuggle next to you, I mean, they are beautiful books and the illustrations right. are the Best. creme de la creme of illustrators yeah. of that time period. Yes. So they're worth having, but the book plates can be a little frustrating from a spoiler perspective. For sure. Well, this is what Jill did with Joan of Arc. It was exactly the same problem was right. Jill, all of the, the plates were all in the wrong places. Yeah, that's right. It's because they were on glossy paper and then the text was printed on just the regular normal paper. So they have to, they have to put them in between the signatures or they can put them all at the front or all at the back or all in the middle. But if they want to space them out, they have to insert them in between the signatures. This is really fascinating. Tanya, tell us how, how you got this resolved. Well, my resolve for Anthony was that I owned two copies of this rare book. Right. And even though it was a lower quality and had the brown paper, he was able to, you know, use the images in the way that he needed to use them. And then for me personally, I, I mean, I kind of wanted to cry over the fact that I had this book that I'm missing as Anthony would say, 16 pages. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. (laughs) Not just like, Oh, you know, can a friend copy a page for me and I slide it in. That's just a big chunk of the book. So now for me, the fix is that Anthony's reprinting the book. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And also because if I only had that one that was on the wartime paper, if they're not nice copies, it's not nice paper. Reading is an experience. And so what you're holding in your hands, you want it to look nice and feel nice. And it's, it's the story is as important as the experience you're having. And so that copy isn't one that I want to have anyway. So being able to have both Jill and Anthony putting beautiful copies. I know that they use good quality paper and they have the mm-hmm. covers are nice. It just is a good experience mm-hmm. in and of itself. So the fix for me personally was the books are coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I added a whole pile of photos and all sorts of extra illustrations in there as well. So I'm excited about this one. Haven't you ever read a book on that paper that it, and it says sometimes in there that the, it's like this because it's war and we had to conserve mm-hmm. paper. Haven't you ever thought of that as part of the reading experience that people back then, mm-hmm. that was like the best they could get and they were just happy to have them. And, and I have this. Tanya. Somebody, somebody in the middle of the war was yeah. reading this book and happy to get it. Last bookshop in London, Tanya. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I do think that in 1940, when they were reading it, I don't think it was brown and brittle. I no, just probably think- not. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I think they probably did have a good experience. And it does mean something for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the sacrifices that were made and that they still recognize the importance that America and the world, people needed stories. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely, that definitely is part of the experience. And- <laughs> I'm a fan of the old dime store pulp crime detective type <laughs> novels. And so for me, the, the brittle, awful old page is part of that experience, though, just that gets you into that mindset of that cheap underworld. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe not perfect for the secret garden. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Not for the secret garden. <laughs> oh, that's, <great>. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, Anthony. That's a good perspective to share and to have. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, one yeah. of the things that we've talked about a lot in different podcasts is how these, the reprinting that's happening with Anthony and Jill and other small boutique publishers like this is that these books are getting a second life. And um, in some cases, these books are getting a really beautiful, luxurious new life, a life they never really even had. Um, the care that's being taken, like Anthony said, with this book that you're talking about, he's got extra bits and bobs to go in it. And the way that I'm thinking about the Elizabeth Ripley books, where Jill is adding additional art into those books and just, you know, putting them in color instead of black and white, we're getting an exquisite experience from an old book. We're getting the best of both worlds, you know, old books with new technology. <laughs> Praise God for that. So thank you guys. <laughs> I think Anthony should kind of share this actually, because when he had contacted me on this particular book, he had the UK edition, which mm. was different than the American edition. And so then what he is able to do, Anthony, you should just share about that. I think it's so cool how you're going to handle that. Yeah, because everybody wrestles with which version of Harry Potter to buy. Do we buy the UK or the American? Because they're different. They're fundamentally different. I've only seen the the Australia, which I believe is off the UK edition of Harry Potter. And I'd go the American. Really? Just, just but I hate the Australia. The, there's orphans and widows and stuff all over the place. Like just like oh. three words at the top of a page ending a paragraph and just awful typographical things there that drive me crazy. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> go the American. Um, so for me, this book here, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's The Talking Wire. Oh. And I'd managed to track down a UK version quite a few years ago. I just, when I first started using Ambleside Online, I just had the book list and anything that people said it was rare, I tried to find early. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> this one has a whole pile of photographs in the middle. Mm. And I didn't even know there was an American edition with illustrations until I was searching the original publication date to fill out all the front matter. I'm like, oh, illustrations, going to have to try to track that down. <laughs> um, uh. And so I, I managed to do that. Nice. And so now I can combine both. And then I decided I would find even better quality photos. And then that took me down a rabbit hole, finding patent drawings and all that kind of fun stuff too in, <laughs> in as well. So. You know, there are purists out there who will say, I want these books reprinted exactly the way that they were. I want them to look and feel just like they did in 1945 or whatever. I, I I'm not one of those people. <laughs> um, it's impossible. One of the things that makes it impossible is that the way that paper is cut and laid out is different, right? Can you yeah. tell us about book sizing differences? The paper is not as thick now as it used to be 60, 70 years ago, because you know, all those 200 page books, how they were like two inches thick. Yeah. Now a 200 page book is a half an inch thick. Wow. Because 400 pages per inch is like the standard size for paper. And it is possible to sort of mimic the way that books were made a hundred years ago, like our Lois Lenski books from the Kickstarter, yeah. but they are so incredibly expensive to manufacture that way to have the pictorial end papers, a nice thick dust jacket, the smysome bindings. And if you're, if you're talking about having books made that way, they're going to cost, you know, $40, $50 now right. for hardcovers. And it's just, I don't think many people want to spend the money to get that. 
And I would say to the purists who want the books made exactly the way that they were made 100 years ago, I would tell them to go and find a 100-year-old book. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm destroying any credibility I have in this living book world here today with detective novels and what I'm about to say next. But I'm a comic book nerd. Like, I, I love my Daredevil <laughs> comics. And I've got them going right back to, like, number 13, I think, is my earliest mm. one. And then there's a few gaps where they're expensive, but I'm not going to get upset that Marvel has reprinted them with newer stuff. Like, if, if I want to have my collection all matching, I've just got to pay the fortune for those books mm. from that era. Right. Um, or or I can just be really glad that I get to read it and have right. the uninterrupted story if I want it. So I, I've got to just choose between spending a ridiculous amount of money and getting to have the title. <laughs> Plus, you know, I'm just more interested in the content because when you buy those expensive old books, they're really just to sit on a shelf, aren't they? Because who's mm-hmm. going to want to read a book that you spent two or three hundred dollars on? And, and don't do what Jill, well, what I do, and, and maybe Jill does, is cut it up so that you can actually get good scans <laughs> of the pictures and all that kind of. I had to cut up. I had to cut up three first editions of Oceanborn Mary to get my. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. It was like. It was painful. They were expensive too. <laughs> did, did you start by trying to do it really carefully and cut through the bite, like the stitching, and so that you could maybe get it reassembled if you wanted to? Or did you know that that was not a no point I even trying? I don't even bother to do that anymore. I just slash yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. That, the first few I tried to pull them apart so it would work like that, and then just no, it's not. It's yeah, not it's worth just, the hassle. <laughs> yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> so the the reason all of my well the vast majority of my books are the size they are the five and a half by eight and a Mm -hmm. half is that I was originally um I couldn't work out how I could afford to be able to physically print them and so I chose that size since it's half of you guys paper size uh, because I think eight and a half by 11 is your standard printer paper yeah so that way people could actually bind them themselves at home and print them so I've actually and working out how to do it I was going to make a whole pile of videos so I've actually made up the signatures and then like put them into a little homemade press with the, you know, oh. just two pieces of pine and like <laughs> slit the holes down and then done the stitching in and out and then glued it. And <laughs> yes, we have to that. do so that. Just, <laughs> so, yeah, I'd, that's why I originally chose the size that I did to do all my books so that if people oh. couldn't afford books and there was a way that they could get it and be able to do that themselves using the uh, the PDF. That's brilliant, Anthony. Yeah, but but seriously, free. trust your time. Your time is worth a lot more than the time it takes to do that it and is. just buy the book. Like, just buy the book from him for nine or ten dollars. It's, it's way better. I You'll learn. spend four or five hours. So. Yeah, I want to learn how because I did loan Jill a book that she did cut the spine off and then she and I just said, but send it back because one day I might figure yeah. out how to rebind that book. But I felt the sacrifice was worth it mm. also for a rare book so that other people because she couldn't find a copy. Mm. But, yeah, I think it was, it was, it. it was, um, it was Leaper. Yeah. It was oh. Robert McClung. Yeah. And yeah. I was careful cutting that one apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I kept it. Cause I think that'd be a fun project one day to see, because I know libraries do that. They, I mean, that's why we have library rebinds right. that are those really nice, solid binds. So, you know, maybe one day I'll figure that out. But, but I think, I think they take the sections apart. I think they take they them out of a cheap binding and I think they take the signatures and bind those in. And I think they sew them together so well. And I, I hate cutting those apart because they have like five times as much thread as any other edition. Uh, and then heavy they duty the hardcover over it. Oh, they are super heavy duty. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, for my for the Charlotte Mason series, when I did that, I mean, I wasn't yeah. going to go cutting up someone's old copy there. So I actually ended up um, pulling apart a picture frame and making a mount for my wife's camera, and I attached a bike brake handle onto oh, the yeah the, on the piece of glass. So then I could have it mounted, the camera mounted facing straight down, and I could pull the bike handle to push the trigger and take a wow. photo of the page. And then lift it up and oh. then push the glass back down over the page to take another photo. And fortunately, the inside margins were large enough and there was no images. Yeah. So I didn't have to worry about that part. But I could get away with, like, never opening the book more than the 45 degrees, sort of, <laughs> or 90 degrees, to be able to keep it all nice and still get decent quality um, photos of everything. Well, you know, before scanners, that's what um, all publishers did. They had photo ready copy and they would print yeah. out each page and then they would photograph it. And then that's how they got it onto the plates. Wow. Amazing. It's really amazing when you think about the cost that we pay for a book. I know that as a mom, you're like as a homeschool mom, you're thinking, oh my goodness, the books I need for this term are going to cost me $150 or $200, whatever it is. And you're thinking, how do I afford that? Um, but when you think about the volume of work that you guys put into making these books come from a dusty old wartime copy into this beautiful copy that I can now buy multiple copies of and the prices that you charge, which are not very high, I don't know how you make any money. <laughs> I don't know if that's inappropriate <laughs> to say or not, but I think that it's important for us to realize how much work goes into these and that the, the price of the book is it's really quite fair. Well, I, th I think it was like three years before I was making minimum wage oh <laughs> um, for the time I was putting into it. <laughs> uh, but that, my goal, my goal, I was always saying, I just want to make minimum wage, to, <laughs> which is slightly more in Australia than it is over there. But um, <laughs> I don't even want to know how much labor I put into each book and what what it's worth as far as my time goes, because some of them are just ridiculous amounts sure. of time. But I um, I wouldn't be happy with it if I didn't spend the time getting the pictures perfect, or at least mm -hmm. in my opinion, perfect. <laughs> but one of the good things is, is that once we get a book done, we can sell it for years and years and years. Yes. And, and it will take sometimes some books it does take years and years back to just recoup Recover. our yeah, yeah re recoup just, our time even just the financial investment sometimes initially especially with, with jill doing the large print runs on many of the titles oh yeah i'd um yeah so jill your books are a variety of shapes and sizes anthony yours are pretty uniform why is that when I was first doing this. People always ask, saying on Facebook and stuff, I wish we could get a matching set of mm -hmm. the Ambleside books and that kind of thing. Yes. And I've always, I, I'm a sucker for sets of books. Me um, too. <laughs> and so that's why I started doing it. I am regretting some of that now, but I think I'll just tidy things up a little bit because I do love, I love the branding of just the seeing when people post their book stacks. I'm like, mine, 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 mine. <laughs> you know? um, and I, it feels nice to see that family's using it. And, and it, I think it's a, a good little bit of marketing. Um, it is. That yeah. I don't, it doesn't make me feel dirty. So <laughs> where most marketing does. Oh. Um, but, but also I think I am not creative and the mental strain trying to work out entirely new covers and every part of it for every single book. Um, mm -hmm. It's a lot easy for me just to you know get a really nice image and work yeah. on the other parts and, and keep the consistent branding that's lovely 
<laughs> Jill, what about you? You seem to like to fuss with covers. Is that true? <laughs> I do. I, I probably say I agonize over this. That's the right word. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> I was just going to say that my books um, started out as all different sizes because I started out with picture books. Yes. And I used to copy every book exactly as they were originally made because wow. I have them printed. I had them printed overseas and everything over there is absolutely custom. You can tell them anything you want and they will do anything you want. So if a book was um, nine and seven eighths wide, that's what I made it. Mm. And uh, you, you can't even get these sizes over here in the United States right now. So that's why I was always doing like custom work on my picture books. And now that I'm starting to concentrate more on paper bags, I'm, I am standardizing those and our size is six by nine for those. Nice. Nice. And why six by nine? I can have the type spaced out and lots of nice white space and larger letters which is pleasing to my eye, but mm-hmm. I can fit more text on a page if I use six by nine than like a lot of the old books were five by eight. Yeah. So I can uh, use fewer pages. Like if I use 10 fewer pages in a book, that will save people about a dollar. So huh. if I can cut 20 pages out of a book, that'll save them $2, you know? So sure. by going to the larger book size, I'm able to do that while still leaving a lot of white space on the page. Once you oh, go above like the six by nine, your, your price per page right. increases quite drastically for printing. Right. And so that's, yeah, that's why the I'm starting to do something in the six by nine as well, if they're outside of the normal series. So. so why is that? Do you happen to know what is different about the paper at that point? Like, why is it different for the printer? I have a feeling it's because um, digital printers, it's the number of pages they can print on one piece of paper. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And so based upon what the ream size is, six by nine works out nicest. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> the price does seem to go up. I don't know. What is it like 50% Anthony? Or... It's huge it's, increase. It is. A lot of money. Yeah. So all of the, the picture books that I'm doing that are print on demand, those are most of those are over seven by 10. So that mm. just going to that size or larger adds about 50% to the price of the printing. Wow. And I don't suppose you can change your, your picture books. You can't retrofit them or at least not without a ton of work. Well, I'm starting to move them all over to print on demand as they're selling out. Um, I just transferred over like Yellow Ball by Molly Bang. Mm-hmm. And I think it was... I don't know. It might have been like nine by 12 before. So now it's eight and a half by 11. That's as close as I can get. So I am having to make some of the the, um, pictures a little bit smaller, but most people would notice. And you can't get down to the six inch wide without losing way too much. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Picture books are still going to be what they're going to be. They're just going to be more expensive because they're more paper. But it was interesting because the, uh, the talking about the signatures that sort of got us started here. Um, yeah. We also, when they're doing the print-on-demand stuff, they print out the interior of the book and then they manually combine those with the cover. They've got someone physically sticking it in and then the, the other part shoots down. And so you'll also find some of the same sort of issues that mm. you have with the, the replay signature where you'll get a book in the incorrect cover. 
uh-huh. um, which is just the same <laughs> same user <laughs> error. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the so that's, days with VHS videos mm-hmm. that would come in the wrong sleeve. And my parents yep, thought it. they were putting in the Ten <laughs> Commandments for us. And it was an Eddie Murphy movie instead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and they were That's at a party. Great. So that was for us. And the oh, baby wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, most of the time when that's happened with my books, it's been ones that, it's another of my books that of your own. across. <laughs> I, I I live in fear of it being something super inappropriate that is accidentally <laughs> put in, but it it's not something that happens very often no. at all. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, we've had that happen, I think, two or three times in the last year with some of our customers. And one of the people ordered a 48-page picture book. So the spine is made for 48 pages. And what they got was like a 300-page cookbook oh. <laughs> with, with the cover of my picture book over it. And it, yeah. you would think that the printer would notice that, hey, the spine isn't the right size. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that doesn't happen often. I think that's happened twice. So that's a good thing. Yeah, well, I, I probably a dozen times, I think, over the, the six years for me. So, And yeah. it's no different than Tanya's experience of having this very, very rare that's book it. in its original yeah. printing. And it's wrong. because Well, that mm-hmm. happened to me with one of the Alice Gowdy books, Here Come the Elephants. I am yeah. missing 32 pages. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Oh. 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 So, so you need it. Whenever need I get to that book, Sandy Hall has a version that she's going to let me borrow for those 32 pages that are missing. Yeah, I have duplicate in there, 32 pages, and I don't know how much I paid for that book. Yeah, almost. What do you do with these books? You put them on a shelf as trophies of the, you know. I don't know what you do. <laughs> well, Tanya, with yours, does it become worth more? like mm-hmm. a, a mis, misstamped coin or something? Yeah, that's what my husband was asking too. So I guess it just depends on why someone might be wanting that particular book. Is there someone collecting it? Because um, this one would have been a Messner biography. So is it does it have value because of the series or the author or the illustrator? So it becomes a collector's item. But I think most of these books, I mean, depending on the author and illustrator, I think their value is to home educators. Yes. And so for a home educator... Say the value isn't there <laughs> right, right. right. The content is but maybe if it was a lois lensky book and you were an avid lois lensky fan maybe it would have value for being just need to make sure friend. there's need to make sure there's two lois lensky's fans ask for it and then you're set <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. there's only that's... one you yeah. <laughs> um, yeah that's fascinating I know a lot of people want the old books um, also just because they like the hardcovers and Mm -hmm. they don't want a paperback as much. And I used to definitely be a hundred percent in that camp. And then I've just shifted over the last Mm -hmm. few years for a couple of reasons. But one is I think the quality of what both Jill and Anthony produce are so good and I can get more paperbacks on my shelf than I can those hardcovers. So what Jill was saying with like how thick the paper was and the landmarks being a two inch book and not being able to get it in a half inch. That's mm-hmm. a pretty significant shelf space. And I always call shelf space 
high value real estate in my home. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so that's really important to think about is, uh, so there's the quality there. And, and I still feel like they have the last ability factor. Yeah. That's not a word. I just made that up, but, <laughs> um, I do think their paperbacks are going to last, but the other thing that has become a concern for me is the health issue of the old books, mm-hmm. because a lot of them do have, sometimes they just have full on mold. Sometimes they have a musty smell. And I've heard Mm -hmm. a lot of people feel like confused about what old book smell is Mm -hmm. versus like a musty smell. Mm -hmm. And an old book smell is actually almost like a vanilla. It smells good. (laughs) When you smell old book smell, Mm -hmm. it is not musty. And you can ask some booksellers, like you can message people on a books and you'll be like, does this have a smell? And they want to tell you, yeah, it's got that kind of like musty old book smell. No, no. Musty no. and old book are two different things. Mm-hmm. And I really, I, I'm getting concerned. I've gotten rid of pretty much every book that has any sort of a musty, mildewy, moldy smell. Um, because I'm concerned about the health issues of breathing that. But one time I bought a bunch of signature biographies and I was going through them and I opened one up and <clears throat> something, a spore flew into my eye. Ooh. And I don't know what that was. And my eye was irritated for weeks. And finally I went to the eye doctor and whatever had gotten in my eye was creating all these bumps on the back of my eyelid and it was scratching the eye and we had to do a lot of medication and things. And it was something that flew out of a musty book. Yeah. And ever since then, I'm just a lot more cautious. Yeah. Can I still buy vintage books? And I still love them. Mm-hmm. but I'm less willing to bring in a rare book if it's smelly at all. And I'm more likely if someone's reprinted it to just yeah. say to myself, it's just better just to get the reprint in. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that might not be something that people are really thinking of or something they've considered, but I've just had enough issues. And I've even tried the ozone machine. I don't mm-hmm. think it works. That's just mm-hmm. my experience. I've done, I've put books in a box like in a bin with an ozone machine mm-hmm. and done it multiple times. And I still feel like the smell is there. Mm-hmm. So that's my experience. I'm just more and more grateful for these publishers because I think having a brand new product in your home that you can also trust is not going to pose a health risk. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also well, really great. I feel like a big reason why people like vintage books, they fall into a couple of camps. One is that they look at pictures of beautiful libraries and they think, oh, I I want a library that looks like that. And they think in order to get that, you have to get old books because that's the only way to get a gilded cover. Okay, If you want a gilded cover, you can buy a folio or you can buy, you know, any of those other leatherette covers out there. So that's always an option if you're going for aesthetic. And I'm not knocking that because I do too. So I, I have a lot of very pretty books. Um, I, I like my illustrated junior library, even though the plates are in the wrong places because they're pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but I think another thing is, I think probably one of the more wholesome concerns that people have had is, do we trust modern printers? Don't modern printers just do cheap, throwaway copies of classics? And are they adulterating them, changing them, editing them? Well, if you're buying the create space version on Amazon, yes, you, you have a lot of reason for concern, but if you're buying a copy from Jill or from Anthony or some of the other beautiful presses out there, what you are getting is something that's probably even better 
than the vintage book. I think about all the things that that Jill caught in Joan of Arc, where the plates were in the wrong places. There were serious errors, omissions, paragraphs that were missing. Yes. The finished version of her Joan of Arc is more complete than almost any other version out there right now, because she worked so hard to restore it back to what Twain wrote and then worked to carefully edit it so that the plates came in the right places and that it was the right size. It's the right weight. It's the kind of book you want to buy. I think that that's a testimony. And and Anthony, what you're doing with Charlotte Mason's six volume set, you're making the, the the pink ones are great. I'm so glad I have them, right? I'm thrilled because I, I got them at a time when they were hard to get and a friend sent them to me and it's a gift I will always be appreciative of, but you can't open them. You can't, you can't make margin notes in them. They're, they're, they're not, they're not that user-friendly. And so your versions are, they're bigger, they're easier to use. They're nicer in the hand. You can actually make margin notes in them. I'm, I'm a big fan of these, these kind of reprints, because I think that we're getting a better quality product in the long run. And at the price you all charge, I get to buy multiple copies, one for me and one for each of my readers. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that about the size of the, the Charlotte Mason books. I'm actually going through listening to the audiobook, the proofs as they come through, and I'm loving the amount of space to scroll in the margins. And I, I, I spent so much time working out the best size because I wanted parents to be able to just chuck them in their bag and be able to read them at gymnastics or whatever because we're, we're busy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I was that compromise between margin space and text size and yes. all of that kind of stuff. I I'm really happy with the decisions I made. So it's, it's nice to hear that you, you. I am too. (laughs) I am too. So thank you. (laughs) So I feel like we could talk about this lots and lots. What do you guys want people to know? What do you want people to know about how books have changed and why you do what you do? What are complaints you've gotten that you'd love to be able to respond to? Uh, the, The whole reason I sent a whole pile of books to Jill was, in anticipation of the complaints, I sort of threw her under the bus. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, well, that's how we met because Anthony had a book that he thought it should be done, but he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to stress over the pictures and all of that. And it was Pharaoh's boat. And yeah, I, I felt that it, it needed those end pages that I just could not do on print right. on demand. The, yeah. The big and I do have to say that's the most complicated picture book I have ever done in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good choice on your part, I think. But yeah, the, the gatefold, the double gatefold, it has uh, at the end, it has um, two pages that fold out and make four pages and mm-hmm. I had to have the printer teach me how to do that because I didn't have a clue because mm. you have to you have to print the pages all out of order completely oh. out of order it is so non-intuitive how to do it and they had to actually make me a dummy that I could follow with the page numbers that I could take apart and look at <laughs> so that I could create my files. But anyway, <laughs> that's beside the point, but that's how we met. And yeah. And so I just really always appreciated um, the fact that he passed off this really good book to me. It was kind of him. I mean, it's not the sort of thing that um, people do when they're in competition with you. Right. So, right. Um, And I don't really think the two of us are in competition. I know that now, but before I ever knew him, it's just, 
you kind of, you're just kind of careful about how you help people or what kind yeah. of information you give to people because they do end up competing against you and, mm-hmm. you know, we, we want to make a living so that we can still be here. <laughs> yeah. And I think neither of us have ever really like uh, pride or asked what each other's working on or anything like that. And That's I think true. we, we yeah. sort of acknowledged and, and it's, we haven't sort of discussed that we wouldn't do it. I think we both have just been in business and understand that that would be rather tactless mm-hmm. um, and awkward. But I think we also sort of discussed early on that we will end up doing the same books at some stage mm-hmm. with one or two. And that's OK. We there's this overlap okay. in the Venn diagram of our customers. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Because we will each produce different types of that same book. We'll each have our own spin on it. And that's OK. Yeah, that's it. And so, yeah, it's it's been good. I, I've learned a lot from Jill. Um, and oh. it's been wonderful knowing that there's books that I didn't feel up to doing that I could put in a good word for her and hopefully, you know. <laughs> well, thank you. But um, people. Anthony's being modest though. He really is because when I made the switch over to print on demand and trying to format my files for that, it was like a foreign language. And I had to keep saying, what does this mean? What am I supposed to do here? Because, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, the printers are not really that user-friendly. They just kind of throw you in there and they expect you to learn everything yourself. And it was so completely different than anything I had ever done before. And he was really kind and answered every question I ever had. I I love the collaboration between the two of you because because you are so good to each other, which is so different in, in a lot of, I mean, just in the industry in general, I think, uh, we all reap the benefit of it because you do share books and, and you do encourage each other and we get more books and better books. Like Anthony, if you hadn't given her Pharaoh's boat and another book that I know that you gave her, that is very near and dear to my heart. What if those hadn't come back and I would never have known them. And I mean, one of them is very important to me. So. Oh yes, well, yeah, we can't we we can't forget that it's mismantle. <laughs> I love what you're saying. It's very sweet, but I Jill does a fantastic job with what she does, and I, I couldn't have done them. So I I more just sort of put in a, a good word for her. I, I, it's <laughs> yeah, not like but... I sort of wrapped it up in a bow and and gave it to Jill or, well, or anything. Well, it's most appreciated. It really is. <laughs> I think it reveals that both of you are actual book lovers and you want to see good books get done. So even if you can't do them, you still want those books as, as Margie McAllister says, to be out in the wild where they belong and Mm -hmm. you enable each other to do that and we get to benefit from it. So Anthony, I'm getting a puppy in two weeks and her name (laughs) is Cedar. Nice. Yeah, that's lovely. (laughs) Oh, that's so good also just wanted to say because I've seen some interesting collaboration between the two of you as well and maybe you guys have forgotten about all of the collaboration or maybe it's not (laughs) obvious to you how an outsider views the collaboration but there there were two experiences one was the landmark books Anthony Mm -hmm. you you wanted to not have the complaints of the landmark books and I think this also speaks to you maybe looking at who you feel like both of you feel like could handle or um who is best to do the book? I, I recognize that there may be some books, like you said, Anthony, that the two of you will both decide you're both going to have a copy of like the life of the spider. Anthony, you have a copy of that as well. So that's an interesting story where you both have an edition, but they're very different editions. But the other time that I saw you guys collaborate that I thought was really powerful. And it's one where Jill decided, Anthony, actually, that if, if this book ever works out, you 
you're the one that should do it was if Squanto by Feeney Ziner, you guys were both going after that book mm-hmm. and um, both of you were in contact with different members of the estate. And mm-hmm. I think Jill at some point came to me and just said, because she had great respect for you because of the complications of the book and, and because you guys have been collaborating, she just said, you know what, that book, if it happens, Anthony needs to take that. And I just thought that is so inspiring me to, to see that yes, you have your separate businesses. Yes, you both have projects that are important to you. Yes, you're looking at which, you know, if there is a book that, you know, which one of you would be better suited, you know, Jill was better suited to Pharaoh's boat, Anthony, and you recognize mm-hmm. that. And Jill said, if Squanto happens, which I think we're all praying someday that Squanto Hopefully. will happen. I did a lap book on spec just so I could show a potential, like just this is how it could look. Like, <laughs> you, you want to even update some terms. That's fine. We can work with whatever you want, but mm. yeah, we'll see what, keeping on trying there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> don't, don't quit Anthony. That's the block on that one. <laughs> so Jill, you're going to print on demand for the future mm-hmm. of your business. Mm-hmm. Anthony, you'll always be print on demand. Is that right? I, the logistics for me to be able to print in bulk while it would be cheaper, I don't have an easy way to warehouse them where the majority of my customers are. Right. I, mean, I, I keep, you know, two copies of each of my books here so that I can <laughs> fulfill Australian orders, but there's no way that I could do that decently um, for the majority of my customers. So for me, it's just, I don't really have any other option. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So has print on demand changed a lot in the last 10 years? Um, I The quality has been getting better consistently. I feel in, in some ways from some of the first stuff I saw. Um, I'm loving that there are now, it's available in more countries so mm. I can more easily um, be able to supply different people. Nice. I'm, I'm loving that Jill is moving across there so I can get her books um, <laughs> and be able to give them to, to people here. Although, there is always a little sting when my wife's helping open the boxes and <laughs> she's always got, this is so lovely. You didn't show me this. I'm like, that's Jill's. And, and that repeats like every single time. Um, this is how he is. How can you not like a friend like this? Yeah. <laughs> um, that seems like that is one of the benefits of being print on demand is um, maybe especially here in the US, Jill, because your business can be online and the way we communicate through social media, the world is such a small place, but that doesn't make it easy to necessarily get the books to all the people who might be following you on your Facebook page. So maybe you have a Canadian customer or a UK customer. What does that allow you guys to do? For us, it mainly means that our customers can get the, our books from other retailers like bookshop.org, Barnes Mm -hmm. & Noble, those places that are worldwide because unfortunately our website does not handle international orders. It's just too complicated for me um, to do that right now. You have to do all this. so expensive. Yeah. So expensive. And just the logistics of like us taking the order and placing the order and making sure it gets to the country where it's supposed Mm. to be going. And Mm. um, so that might be something we offer in the future, Mm -hmm. but we don't offer that right now. And it's partly because people don't realize when they order from us, it's usually like 50% comes from our warehouse and 50% is print on demand. And so it's really hard to uh, filter out the orders that would be international and not allow them to buy our warehouse books and it's Mm. 
it's just a logistics problem right now. Sure, mm. sure. And so are there like regional print on demand? Like if you have a print on demand account, can you print in South Africa? Can you print in India? Or is it just one place? You know, is there, is it like, is there a global network for print on demand or just country by country? There is with Ingram and Anthony probably knows more about this than I do, but I know that when I upload my books to Ingram, they can be in for sale in the United States. They can also be printed in the UK and they can be printed in Australia. And there are, there are different printers um, throughout Europe also, but I don't know that much about it because it's like once you, once I upload my books, then people can just buy them however mm-hmm. they can access them. Sure, and, sure. and in the United States, there are several different locations where the books can be printed from, and we don't control that. It's just we hand the order over to them, and they do it wherever it's best for them to print and ship from. Gotcha. Uh, Ingram, who, who she's mentioning, is, is like the biggest book distributor in the yeah. world, basically, and um, they cater all the fulfillment for bookstore or bookshop.org or whatever it's called, um, along mm-hmm. with many of the other online retailers, and they're at, like naturally Amazon's biggest book supplier as yeah. well. So um, when people order from me and it's print on demand, they'll sometimes say, you know, the, sh- the shipping tracking hasn't updated, but that's just because of Ingram has such a massive amount of orders they can stick everything into a big is it Gaylord they're called for the big book thing anyway they stick all the orders for a certain area that's coming from the printer in one big thing that's taken by UPS and then that's taken to USPS place near you where hopefully it's scanned but because there's such a delay there sometimes tracking won't update for a long time or USPS won't scan it so people will think that you know, I've forgotten to take it down to the post office because it hasn't been scanned or, or something like that. Like, no, I, I have no control here and it's it's a big organisation. Um, oh. Yeah. But, yeah, so Ingram has the, the print facilities that um, Jill was mentioning and we can choose to print from those if we want to, but then they also have deals with small ones in like India and China that sure. we can't directly print to, but um, if, if bookstores order, they can. Oh, interesting interesting. Thank you for listening. Join us again on Friday for the second half of this conversation. And be sure to check out the show notes at our website, plumfieldandpidea.com.